ladies and gentlemen. Backed by popular demand. <laughs> so we're going to do this again. Episode number two, Borderline Offensive. And boy, are we going to push that name to the limit today. I might have to reclassify this podcast. (laughs) Number two takes on different definitions, but today it means it's the shit. Because I'm pumped to have my first guest of this series, a very special guest, Chris Bowers calling in today. We're going to try something new. Hopefully the technology cooperates. All right, I'm going to turn this down. Welcome back to episode two of Borderline Offensive. And like I said, we are going to push those limits today. Let this serve as a warning to any of you with small children, any elderly, Anyone not in good health or anyone that's inclined to be offended. This episode may not be for you. Now, having said all that, hopefully you stay tuned. (laughs) That's the old, uh, what is that? The old uh, explicit label, thanks to the gangster rappers back in the 80s. They were required to slap a label on and warn everyone and Sales went through the roof by like (laughs) 10,000%. All right, well, let's just get to it. As I said, I'm super pumped to have today's guest. He's the host of a streaming show called Social Distancing Social Club. His album, Unpopular Opinion, debuted at number one on iTunes and Amazon Music. You may have heard him on the Bob and Tom show. You may have seen him in just about any comedy club across the United States, and quite possibly you may have bumped into him in a strip club or two. Please welcome to the show my good friend, Chris Bowers. What's up, buddy? I'm excited to be here. The poop episode. Nice. I'm excited. <laughs> By the way, the first the first hundred are practice, my friend. So you're just you're just you're just making it work right now. So it's good. <laughs> Happy to be here. Oh man. Like I said, thanks again. Uh, they say sh- aim high, right? And when I contacted you, I thought, you know what? This is actually who who I want to be my first guest. Uh, and you so graciously didn't even hesitate and accepted. So I can't tell you how how pumped I am to have you. Yeah, no problem, man. You've always been a supporter and a cool guy, and so I try to help out whenever I can. And uh, you know, it's 11 a.m. in California. I'm a little hungover, but you know, we're all right. We'll make it happen. <laughs> yeah. So. So, you know, before we get into to all this other stuff, tell talk about that. You know, you're you're uh, I think originally from Ohio, but you know, as long as I've known you, you're you're an indie guy and and now uh you pe- you packed up and moved away, living the dream, making it big in LA. Well, I'm not sure we're making it big yet, but uh, I did drive we we moved out here last November, we two years this coming uh Halloween. And uh yeah, we moved out to to Los Angeles and uh so I can go to the comedy store every day and hang out with that kind of crowd. And then uh, the pandemic hit and shut everything down. So now we're just kind of hanging out in the apartment. We figured out how to pivot to do 
some Zoom comedy shows, my fr- couple friends of mine. So I'm on this show with Steve Hofstetter and Ben Gleave, and Ben used to do be the host of Idiot Test. He's been on Chelsea lately a ton of times. And Steve is, you know, big YouTube guy. So this big YouTube platform of, you know, a million YouTube followers or whatever. So we just started doing this show um, from our apartments and from our houses. So we just all kind of go on to Zoom, and we have a Zoom audience that comes and watches the show, and then it gets broadcast to Steve's YouTube channel and then Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's been super fun. And, and then we started doing Zoom comedy shows. They have a thing called the Nowhere Comedy Club. So we just kind of switched everything to digital. So, you know, but but most of my days are just inside at home, just waiting for the show to start. And then after the show, we hang out and watch TV and wait till the next day, you know, pandemic, pandemic times. Because yeah. California shut down, shut down, too. Like, I was back in Indiana for a couple of weeks, and you guys don't give a shit about nothing. <laughs> 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 it's a whole different world, man. It is a whole different world. And I don't know which one's right, to be honest. I don't, I'm not judging anybody, but like, you know, because I'm I was back in Indiana, I was like, didn't see any masks, didn't see. Anything. I was like, geez, these people won't think this is doing anything. And then California, fuck, you take a mask off and nine people throw rocks at you. It's insane. <laughs> let's let's talk about that. That, that that I I wanted to ask you that. Uh, you know how how it's been going with the pandemic. One thing, if you've ever attended a comedy, a good comedy show as a fan, one thing that's super important is energy, right? And and energy Mm -hmm. you get from the crowd. So, you know, how do you replicate that on a Zoom? You know, you guys have done a great job, by the way. You know, if someone's funny, that's going to translate into laughs and and being funny no matter where they are. But, But how does that, how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? different energy than you are on stage well the the energy is not that much different we, the key we figured out very early on with these streaming shows is you need to have laughter I, I think that like if you watch all the television networks right now whether it's you know colbert or whoever they have all these comedy shows without laughter and you know i like sitcoms used to have a laugh track and i mm-hmm. think executives used to think that the laughs at a comedy show were like the laughs for a sitcom the laugh for a sitcom is to tell the audience when to laugh that's why dumb shows have laugh tracks and smart shows don't because smart shows don't need to tell you when to laugh. You just know because you get the jokes. But dumb shows have to pretend you show you when to laugh, right? Yep. That's not the reason we have laughs at comedy clubs. We have laughs at comedy clubs so the comedian does not commit suicide, right? <laughs> it's our air. So if you don't hear anyone laughing and you watch these guys on TV even that like great comedians and they'll start a monologue and by the end they're just sad because when no one laughs, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. When no one, when no when no one laughs, it doesn't work. And so, you know, that's what we found with Zoom. Like, okay, we had a, so the first day of the show, I had a couple of my friends come in the show and just be in the audience on the Zoom. And then we figured out how to if somebody had loud uh, noise in their apartment or their house, somebody was eating potato chips or whatever. <laughs> there's ways in Zoom to mute those people and then go, hey, quit eating chips. And they're like, oh, sorry, and they stop eating chips and let them you let them unmute or whatever. But you do hear that laughter. I mean, I and it, again, it does not replicate live shows, obviously, but I think it's a better way to watch comedy than watching it on TV, to be honest, because it's it's more interactive. I mean, comedy is set up to be the one thing that will survive well on Zoom because it's the one entertainment thing where you check in with the audience every six to eight seconds. You know, where like if you're a band, you play a song and at the end everybody claps. But does that translate on Zoom? I don't know. You know. <laughs> right. Right. But comedy kind of does a little bit, so you know it's 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 it took a couple months to figure it all out, but I think we got to the point where now we've got a pretty good product, and and it's and it does replicate the energy 
of like we're in the room. I mean, that's that's the the one cool thing with technology. I mean, if this had happened 30 years ago, we were all on our fucking phones playing Snake, we'd be fucked. You know, so the fact that we can, you know, we have all this technology, we're just sitting there. I mean, Zoom was just sitting there. I mean, I, people get mad at Zoom. I'm like, Zoom was just a platform for. They didn't know this was going to happen. They're like, hey, let's have business meetings. You're like, hey, let's just use it for everything. And they're like, well, we're not sure it's going to work for everything, guys. <laughs> you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you mentioned a name earlier, uh, and it struck me. So Steve Hofstetter. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen him a few times here, uh, you know, at Morty's, a couple other places. One of the questions I had for you was, had to do with hecklers. And mm -hmm. de dealing with hecklers. So I have some other questions. I don't want to rewind and go a little bit further back, but but let me just ask you this. I want you to talk a little bit about hecklers and and how you deal with them or how we how they kind of play into the actual set. Uh, Steve Hofstetter, I think within the com the comedy community, I've heard him referred to as the heckler killer or the heckler assassin he's got videos online actually too i think like an entire series where he's dealing with with uh, hecklers talk to me a little bit about about how you view hecklers and how you deal with them well there's two kinds of hecklers so there's people that come to the show that are trying to actively like be part of the show and sometimes that's intentional sometimes it's not sometimes people just don't know what they're doing they don't know you're not supposed to call out shit in the middle of the, <laughs> the middle of somebody's set they just don't know that because at TV, I mean, at home, you know, you yell at the refs on TV, you yell at all kinds of shit, you know, you see a YouTube video, you're like, oh, come on, man, or whatever. You do that in your house, you don't realize you're not supposed to do that in a live performance, especially because it seems very conversational if it's done well. So people, you feel like they want to be part of the conversation. Right. There's that kind of heckler. And then there's just people that are just loud because they're talking at their table or they're just not paying attention or whatever. So those are two different kinds of, of problems, right? I've generally never had the first kind of heckler. Like, I don't have people yell shit out at me because I talk so fast that I don't let anybody have a word to get in edgewise. You know, so I, I've had, like, two hecklers in my whole career. That's just not what I do. Now, Steve, you know, people get think Steve's plant hecklers or this, that, whatever. No, Steve just goes places and tells them stuff they don't want to hear and just records everything. So he, like, does super liberal comedy in Alabama, and some of those hillbillies are going to yell at him. And so he just records it when that happens, because um, I guess because that's the other, that's the first kind of heckler. The people that like want to, and, and then maybe they disagree with you or whatever. I just don't have that generally. Um, as far as like people being loud or whatever, one of the things I found this is I just stop talking and just wait till they realize <laughs> they're the only person in a room of three hundred people talking, and then usually they just shut the fuck up, right? Because like once they realize like because if I said hey shut up, they don't realize they were being as loud as they were, right? Because drunk people don't know volume, right? So, like, if you just stop, and then she's like, yeah, and then my sister went to the thing, and then and then she, and then she looks around, because people, you've seen that when they sense it, yep, yep. and she'll look around, and she's the only one talking, and the entire room is looking at her, and she'll go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I go, no problem, love you. I just wanted to make sure you got that out before we moved on, or whatever, and then, you know, that happens. I mean, so I, I don't generally... And that's just part of people being drunk. And that honestly, that's one of the cool things about Zoom is when that happens, you just hit mute and they're done. That's it. If they're a total asshole, you just hit, you know, make them leave. I mean, you can throw them out virtually, which is I mean, embarrassing if you get thrown out of a, a show at your own house. But <laughs> same time, like it from a comic standpoint, is great because you don't have to like listen to them yell all the way out. Oh, I guess I can't have fun, so I'm not allowed to have fun. I was just laughing at the jokes. No, you fucking weren't. You're loud as shit. You drunk ass, get out of here. But. <laughs> 
so yeah, so I'm not uh, hecklers aren't a huge deal for me one way or the other. Generally, I I have an energy that kind of says, hey, the adults are talking here. Fucking everyone, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to generally deal with it, but they they can be entertaining. That's why I wonder. I mean, if it goes right, it can be. Oh, they're not. They're they're no. They're never entertaining. No, it's no. never good. Well, it's, I'm saying like like sometimes comics can be really good. What I'm saying is I want to make yeah. sure everyone out if, if, if the people <laughs> listen to this don't think no, oh, I can be right. no, no. Look. Even Steve, right, who makes does all these Hitler videos and, and has a ton of online following because of them, he doesn't want to be interrupted ever. <laughs> like it's not like he's like, oh, I hope somebody heckles me so I can make another video. No, 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 no. He doesn't want any of that. It's just it's gonna happen, so he records it because he can't stop it. But that's not what he's looking to do, right? And yeah. and so anybody that wants comes to a comedy show, like, look, the way to be part of the show is go to open mics for three years. Be funny and then get a spot on the show. That's how you can be part of the show. That's right. <laughs> yep. I think I should have clarified. They're not funny and entertaining. I find it entertaining when people like Steve and and you and the rest of the talented comedians use those people in a way that they never intended they would be used in part of the show. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it, you, I guess the point is, as a heckler, you're never going to win, and that's, <laughs> that's the right. part. That's the. But it's like you know everything right now. Like the people that scream at people in public. And then they, they see him recording, like, record this. I don't give a fuck. It's like, have you never seen the internet? What the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. Like, how, you're going to lose your job now, man. What are you doing? This is stupid. Don't yell at the camera. Say, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I was being a dick. My bad. That's all you can do, right? So same thing with being a heckler. You're not going to come out on top. It's like, you ever listen to Dr. Laura back in the day? You know what I'm talking about? Yep, I do. So Dr. Laura, you know, for people that don't know, was this uh, therapist that was on, uh, on the radio. And you'd call her up. And it was basically housewives would call her up. And it was a daytime radio show, and they would bitch about their husbands, and every time she would side with the husband and tell the woman to stop being so hysterical or whatever because she was kind of a bitch, to be honest, <laughs> Dr. Laura. was just kind of a fucking right-wing asshole that like was all – anyway, that's a whole different thing. But anyway, every housewife called thinking that she was going to be the one that Dr. Laura agreed with. It's like how do you think you're going to win? I don't understand. You Have you ever seen anybody win? No, but I'm going to win. It's like, okay, these are the same people that date players. Like, you think you're going to be the one that settles you down? Okay, nice work. I'm proud of you if you get it done, but it's not going to happen, my friend. <laughs> I had, I wanted to ask you earlier, you touched on the move to L.A. Is there a difference, no matter, you, you travel all over the place. I mean, there's not a corner or any part of the United States where you haven't performed. Is there a difference performing in L.A. versus performing in Indianapolis in the crowd or yeah, there is. It's not. It's it's subtle. Um, I wrote a joke about it essentially, but the joke is that in L.A., when you tell a joke, you have to you have to wait an extra second for there to be a laugh. And it's not because they don't get it. It's because in L.A., especially Hollywood, you have to run it through a few extra filters to make sure you're allowed to laugh, right? So like in Indiana, like there's only one filter. Is it funny? Yes, laugh, right? If you're in like a woke room where everybody's got handlebar mustaches and plaid shirts, right, then they have two filters. Is it funny? Yes. Is it racist? No. Laugh, right? In Hollywood, it's like, is it funny? Yes. Is it racist? No. Does it does it not punch down in any way for anyone living or dead? No. Laugh. That's in like Hollywood County, right? But if you're in like Hollywood, Hollywood, L.A. County, if you're in Hollywood, Hollywood, it's like, is it funny? Yes. Is it racist? No. Does it punch down? No. Does it completely believe in my political beliefs 100% without any kind of differentiation? 
Yes, laugh, right? So it takes them an extra seconds to put it through all that shit because they don't want to laugh at a joke they weren't supposed to laugh at. I mean, you've seen that, you know, too, where guys are getting in trouble for laughing at jokes on podcasts, you know, where the host laughed because as you, you're finding out, show two, that's part of your job is yep. to encourage the, the guest, you know what I mean? So they're just laughing to be encouraging, and then they're like, oh, he laughs at a joke about whatever, and you're like, ah, shit, I didn't even hear what the joke was. I was just laughing to be supportive, you know? So, um so anyway, so so th there is a little bit of a difference. I mean, generally, I, I will say, but that's – I don't know who New York crowds are. That's Hollywood and L.A. Yeah. County. Uh, but everywhere else in the country is pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. So. So, so I remember when, when we first met. I know that sounds a little creepy. Uh, I remember when we it first doesn't, met. It doesn't sound creepy until you say that. You know that, right? <laughs> well – I, no, no. I mean, that's a really good piece of advice for men out there. You're not being creepy unless you say, I'm not being creepy, am I? Because that means you know you were looking at their tits, and you are just want to tell them, like, just no, just don't be, just don't mention it, and you won't be creepy. Just don't touch anybody you're not supposed to touch, and fucking <laughs> be cool. But, you know, don't, is this creepy? Yes. By saying creepy, you are now creepy. But it wasn't creepy. Until you said it. When you said we first met, I thought back to the first time we met, thought a, a nice thought about that. And then you're like, well, what about being creepy? I'm like, are you trying to fuck me the first time you met me? Why are you being creepy? What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that's funny. No. So anyway, hearkening <laughs> back to the days when we you're, met. Yes. You're, way, you're way out of my league, by the way. <laughs> oh, stop it. Oh, so... You played high school sports. You know what you're You, you can get it. <laughs> oh. So I was surprised, and this is the reason, I, I mean, I remember, because, I, I mean, I know I keep complimenting, it's just, you're a super funny guy, I've seen you, I can't even count how many times, but I remember when I asked, how long have you been doing this? And at that time, now, I've, you know, I've seen you perform, and I've known you for a number of years, um, but how long, how long have you been, been performing, comic? Well, I mean, that's a weird question in that I, my timeline's kind of weird. So, like, I graduated from high, or college in 96, and I started being – I became a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. So I went to high schools and middle schools. So theoretically, I was on stage, and I was telling jokes, and that's what I was doing. Um, and I probably did an open mic right around there, too. I just didn't like it. It wasn't the comedy part I didn't like. I just didn't like the scene and the whatever. And so I didn't – and I, I was, you know, married at the time, so I didn't really do anything with it. And then I just spoke, and that became successful and whatever, and I kind of put comedy kind of in my back burner. And then I get divorced for a second time in 08, and that's when I really said, all right, I'm going to be a comic now because I had the time, and I – you know, because I, I, I traveled so much in speaking that when I was married to my second wife, to travel extra for comedy that doesn't pay any money was not going to be – she wasn't going to be happy with that. So I just didn't do it. And um, so when we got divorced, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try. So 08 when I really started yeah. doing comedy, though I'd done it before that from time to time. But my real comedy start, I, I call 08, so it's 12 years. Yeah, yeah. And I think around, I think it was about 2009 or 10 when I, when I first met you and I had a chance to. But probably would have been, probably would have been 2011 because I bought Morty's in 2010. Okay. And yeah. so that first year of Morty's, we didn't start the open mic till 2011. I think I met you at the open yeah. mic the first time. So, yeah. see, that would have been 2011. So, you know, I'd been doing it three years when you met me. Yeah, because you had said you've only been doing it for a couple of years. And I thought, wow, you know, because there's so much more. You know, they're, they, they use this in sitcoms and other shows, you know. Uh, I think Fresh Prince of Bel Air, 
uh, you know, had an episode, you know, about his friend who's a comedian comes to town and, and Will Smith thinks that he's funny, you know, gets up on stage and bombs com- completely. But, you know, when, when you mentioned you'd only been doing it a couple of years, I was just completely shocked because, you know, just your presentation, you, you know, you had, you had a clean, you know, a, a great act, not a clean act, but you were just well-rounded, <laughs> if you will. Uh, well, and, then, and I think a lot of that was coming from speaking. So by the time I by the time I started comedy in earnest, I had been speaking for uh, was 2008. I've been speaking for 12 years. So I've been on stage. I've been in front of a couple million people. I've been on stage a couple thousand times. And I already and really this is a big thing in comedy. I already had a voice. Mm-hmm. So part of the thing in comedy they talk about is you got to find your voice and who you are on stage. And a lot of times when guys start, or and females as well, women as well. They sound like a comic they really look up to. So, like, they sound like Chappelle, or they sound like Seinfeld, or they sound like, you know, uh, Hedburn, or whoever. And because I developed outside of that, and my act was explaining things to kids, I already had a voice. I already had a way that I talked, a way that I I expressed what I was talking about, you know? And so then it was right. just a matter of, and really the one of the reasons I started doing comedies is I started writing all these stories and jokes I couldn't tell, tell the kids because they were too dirty. <laughs> so I would, the comedy was the outlet for that. I remember my mom came to see me do comedy. She's like, I just wish you were more clean. And I'm like, I'm clean all day for my job, mom. I speak to middle school kids. I only do this so I can say fuck. That's the only reason I do comedy, honestly, is because I want to say fuck in a room of people, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, but I already had that, which is the first, you know, I mean, it takes 10 years sometimes for guys to find a voice. I already had put that 10 years in at another field that was similar enough that I just transferred the knowledge, you know? Right. So that's one of the reasons I seemed so polished three years in is because I was really 15 years in of presentation, but just wasn't stand-up. Right, <clears throat> right. We talked, we talked a little bit about your, your career, uh, the motivational speaking, uh, a few times. Have you... Is that something where you've you've kept in touch, or or kids kind of keep in touch, or they reach out to you years later and say how much you were able to help? Them? Um, yeah, I mean, I have. I mean, occasionally I'll get a random email, which is always nice, um, from a kid from years ago or whatever. But there are there are a couple conferences I do, um, where they're leadership conferences where the same kid, the kids will go as a sophomore and then come back on staff, which is kind of how I started, to be honest. And so I have a bunch of friends from that those conferences where I was the speaker and on staff and would hang out all weekend and meet people when they were like 16 or 17 and then you know when they're 22 23 some of them came and worked for me some of them were just my friends they'd come to my birthday party I mean so I've got a lot of people um, you know I mean I one of my best friends her name's Ashley she's a, a anesthesiology nurse in Louisville and she saw me speak at this conference when she was a sophomore in high school she had me come speak at her high school we became really good friends. I, you know, her family situation is kind of fucked up, so I kind of mentored her through the end of high school and and her freshman year of college. She went to college, and then her mom got divorced and only had a one-bedroom apartment, and her dad didn't have any place for her to live in the summer. So she actually lived with me and my wife in our spare bedroom for a summer because um, her family situation was all fucked up. And then, you know, whatever. So she's one of my best friends yeah. to this day. Um, and I, and I have a lot of those where I, I met somebody when they were in high school, and then we became friends as they grew up, and it's been pretty cool. I had a, a kid that uh, worked for me for um, – he's he's 37 now, but I met him when he was 16, and he worked for me from the time he was 20 to when he, he just – he got 
he started being a teacher like four years ago because he has two kids now and he just didn't want to be on the road anymore. So he just got his teaching degree and, and now he's a teacher in Columbus, Ohio. But he worked for me for you know ten or twelve years, traveling around. Yeah, as much as I love comedy and love your your shows, I mean, I got to say that that the that impact uh, means so much more. Obviously, you know, impacting lives and. And, uh, well, I, the way I do comedy is I try to impact people's lives too. I mean, I want you to leave and your marriage is a little better, or you decided to break up with that person who's destroying your life, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I try to, like, so, I mean, I'm not, I mean, all I'm doing is growing up the message at, mm -hmm. at stand up. I mean, it's still the same, I'm still doing kind of the same thing. I mean, that's the interesting part about, like, I'm not just up there being silly. I'm trying to say stuff. Right. You know? And, uh, you know, so. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, it, I, I always joke. Used to always joke all the time about uh, the reason I like speaking to kids as as opposed to adults is kids. They're adults already know everything. So if you talk to a group of adults and you tell them something they already agree with, oh, you're a genius. But if you question what they believe, oh, you're a fucking idiot. And we see that now with all the stuff going on with COVID and masks and whatever. Is like if you're already on the team, then yeah. But if you, no one listens to anybody about anything, right? And kids, you can actually see them go oh i hadn't thought about it that way and change how they see the world you know so yeah. that's pretty cool but at the same time i'm also 47 now and i don't connect in a way that i used to when i was 25 and i was like the same generation i mean i'm two generations away from them now you know <laughs> that that is so funny I, i've coached sports my my sons they're, they're my youngest just graduated college uh this past year but but i used to coach sports football football basketball you know different things and and it was really depressing, to be honest. Now, many people will tell you I was never cool, right? No matter what age, no matter what age. Now, let's just say in my mind, let's let's just assume or pretend that I that I was cool at some point. It was really dep it's depressing for people like myself who think they're cool with their friends, and then hey, I think my kids think I'm still kind of cool, right? At the young age, they kind of look up to you. I reached a point, it, it was just a few years ago, I'm sure it happened earlier than that, that I realized <laughs> that I was I was <laughs> not cool, like that I embarrassed my kids, my family, I'm not cool, I, you know, d no matter what I say or do or try, I don't understand the apps that they're downloading and all the technology, you know, I feel like I had a Commodore 64, we were in kind of that first, that first group that understood computers but yet now right. I've fallen behind and, you know, I just, it's just really depressing. Uh, just really <laughs> depressing to realize that, you know, the game has passed me by. Let's just say that uh, with, with the younger, with the younger group. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, and I don't, I don't feel that at all, to be honest, not to be a dick, but I mean, I just, I don't, I, I that's, but I never had kids. I think that's part of the thing is I never grew up. I mean, you know, I'm working on a joke right now about, I think the baby boomers, the reason they're so pissed off is they're the, the last generation to, to grow up. Right, like the Gen X people, we didn't we didn't really grow up. I mean, I didn't. I mean, my yeah, dad. Yeah. I mean, I, what I mean by grow up is do something you hate because you need to right. to help your family. Right? right. Well, I didn't have a family, so I don't need to do that. I mean, like that's the like my my dad grew up, became an adult at 22. He's been an adult for 50 years. Mm -hmm. I was an adult for seven months in 1998, and I fucking hated it. <laughs> right. So, like. <laughs> You know, I, I just I, – I still – and that's part of my – in my head, I still feel like I'm a 25-year-old person. You know what I mean? Like I hang out with people in their 20s. I fucking party like I'm in my 20s. Like I don't – I didn't change anything. Right. And I don't know what that means exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's – I st I mean people in their 20s really still like hanging out with me for whatever reason. And 
uh, and people don't ever think I'm as old as I am, but like, yeah, I never felt, but I, I think part of that's just having kids. I mean, if you, once you have kids, you can't, I mean, that's what I noticed with my, my buddy Ryan that worked for me is, you know, cause even when I speak to kids now, it's, it's still fun and cool. They still like me. I still do well. It's just, I don't connect with them on a way where they want to be my friend and bring me to their school as much as they used to, you know, which is so financially, it's not as lucrative, but like Ryan, he once he had kids, once you have kids, you can't look at kids without that lens of having kids, right? So like I used to have a joke about this in my act, but basically like the like like if I see a kid skateboarding off a roof, I'm like, oh, this could be funny, right? Whereas a parent, if you see any kid skateboarding off a roof, we're like, we gotta save him, they're all special, you know, or whatever, because once you have a kid, you can't look at children. So like I felt like Ryan kept feeling like he was getting disrespected. Because when your kid is four and he tells you to shut up, well, you can't let him do that. So you got to make him not do that anymore. Where, like, I don't care. Some high school kid's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, all right, man. Well, if you didn't get it, you didn't get it. No big deal. I don't care. I, I get paid either way, dude. So I don't care what you think about me. You know? Where, I know this is a fan guy move, but but I'm I'm laughing here. I'm thinking about one of the one of the jokes you you, you used to tell uh, about kids with confidence. Uh, something oh, yeah. a, a little kid with confidence. Yeah, yeah, those little the the, the, the little dicks that got fifth grade figured out. You know, <laughs> they're the starting shortstop on their fucking traveling baseball team. They had a cool name like Trip or Tag. <laughs> they're in fifth grade. They already touched a boob. You know, the kind of kid that'll look at a, an adult man in a suit with a beard and look him in the eye and go what and mean it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hate the, I hate those little dicks because yeah. you know once you. Yeah, the joke was the earlier you touch a boob, the more confident you are the rest of your life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was the joke. Oh, that's uh, right. Hey, so. speaking of wardrobe, so you are otherwise known, I would say, as the best dressed man in comedy. <laughs> I might have just <laughs> well, made that up. Maybe I you just might have just that made that up. up. I, I think I think the other comics would never give me that because they don't think what I do is good. Um, I think they would say fanciest, dandiest. I don't know. I do wear sparkly tuxedo jackets with matching yeah. shoes most of the time. And, uh, you know, but I've always been a guy who just like to stand out with clothes. Like whether I'm wearing, I just like outlandish shit, to be honest. Because I learned a long time ago that when you wear dumb clothes, people come talk to you. I mean, most people want a reason to talk to people, right? Like yeah. I had a friend, she was really tall. She was like six foot one. And I was, I would go to bars with her. And every dude in the bar would talk to her. They don't, but they all came up and go, you're tall. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I ever heard. But I realized it was like, oh, th they would say – they just want a reason to talk to her. So like you know, they, they don't – with regular girls, they don't have an, an opening line. They can't be like, you're regular height. They don't have anything like that. So they, when she's tall, they want to all talk to her. <laughs> so like when you wear dumb clothes, you know, the people that are fun it, – it's also a fun detector. When I wear a sparkly jacket into a into a bar, the people are like, "Who's this guy?" Aren't the ones I want to hang out with. I'm a, the fun people, the ones that go, "Oh my god, that jacket's amazing! Let's do a shot." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay, right." So you, it, it really finds the fun people automatically, yeah. and it, it 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 just brings the party. And I and I did it. I mean, I originally did it. This is what's so dumb about it is I I bought a tuxedo as a joke because I was hosting the trial by laughter thing for Comcast at Morty's, and so I bought this tuxedo as a joke. And then you needed suspenders, right? And I was like, ah, oh, fuck, that's how you, they get you. So I had to go back and buy suspenders. Well, then I never realized, like, being overweight, because, you know, I'm, at the time I was like 250 or whatever, which is what I am right now, and I fluctuate between 210 and 280. But anyway, I was 250 at the time. 
And the problem when you're that big is that you can't wear a belt with your pants because when you sit down, your stomach lays on the belt and it hurts. Mm-hmm. With I tuxedos, know I know with tuxedos, pain. yeah, well, with tuxedos, you wear suspenders, that pain is gone. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like wearing sweatpants. It's the most comfortable outfit I've ever been in my whole life if I got to wear pants. You know what I mean? So it's like, other than gym shorts where you just tie them up, you know? So I mean, if I'm going to have to wear a belt, this was, it was amazing. So I was like, well, this, this is great. I'm just going to start wearing this every day and because I liked how comfortable it was. And then people just love the shit out of it. So I ended up with, you know, it, a bunch of tuxedo jackets. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, too. I remember a time, and I, I think it was, was it Indie's own Chris Lytle, MMA star Chris Lytle? Didn't you didn't you have a bet with him about losing weight or something? Uh, and... I, had a, I had a bet with Pat McAfee. Oh, um, okay. Where I, Pat bet me $1,000 I couldn't lose 70 pounds by the end of football season about four years ago when I did I, I be, but but where you're thinking of Lytle is the last week when I need to lose the last three pounds to win the bet Lytle invited me down to his gym and he, he trained me and made me do some boxing That's shit till right. I, till right. I lost I lost the last three pounds so nice but nice. Uh, yeah I wasn't very good at it. they made fun of me because I was the only guy in the gym with a v-neck t-shirt on which they thought was hilarious but uh, <laughs> you know yeah I remember seeing that I mean I remember the transformation how long did you keep that weight off by the way uh, I mean, honestly, I, I when the pandemic started, I was 220, and then I just mm-hmm. gained 25 pounds sitting around because it's just, you know, as everyone knows, diet time goes by three times as slow as regular time. So when you're sitting in your apartment waiting for a pandemic to end, it's really hard to also not eat um, when you're a fat person. So I just, I just kind of, I have not been on the wagon. So basically, what I, I mean, I, I fluctuate between 250 and 220 now. And I'm on, I'm at 220 more often than I am 250. But when I hit 250, I'll go hardcore for a couple months till I get back to 220. Um, I just haven't done that yet. This is the longest streak I've gone since I lost all the weight to yeah. where I'm at now. So I, I fluctuate between 290 and 291. Yeah. Is see, it, and I wish. I, that... By the way, if I could just do that, I mean, <laughs> even if I was at 240, if I could just stay at 240 forever, I would love that. My problem is I just. I, the way I eat, I don't eat that bad, but I eat, well, I mean, I eat terrible. I just don't eat that much. It's just terrible what I eat. So I, I will just, I mean, if I don't diet ever, I'll just, eventually I'd be 350 pounds. I would just get, I would just gain weight till I died. So eventually I got to <laughs> oh, it shut did, it down. And it, and it did not help. I don't know if you can say this about many clubs. I don't know how it is out in California, uh, but the food at Morty's, oh. I mean, I, I, I honestly, there were times like, hey, let's, yeah, let's go to Morty's. I love the food. Uh, is, is, well, good. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I mean, the food, I mean, you know, I helped. In, I mean, the food was stuff I would like. I mean, so I'm very picky. I don't eat, <laughs> I don't eat fruits or vegetables. I haven't, had, I haven't had a fruit or vegetable since 1996. I only eat meat and chicken tenders and stuff like that. So, you know, I mean, basically I wanted big, big, chunky chicken tenders. I wanted curly, crinkly, crinkly cut fries, and I'm a Pepsi guy, so I wanted Pepsi instead of Coke. Those are the only three things I cared about in Morty's. But I thought the food was very good. But, I mean, I, it's kind of like anything in your refrigerator. I mean, once you own the food, you don't like it anymore. I mean, I need a lot of Morty's food just because <laughs> once it's all free and you can have all you want, it's like, eh, you know? Yeah. Like, for me anyway, I don't know if you're like that, but I, when I go to an all-you-can-eat buff, all you, all you buffet, I'm, I'm full after the fucking fourth bite. And I'm like, God damn it. Because... I, re- I remember, I don't think you were moving at the time, but I remember you, there was a show and it was kind of like, hey, Bowers is moving. Come celebrate after. Let's make sure, let's drink all the liquor that's up there. Because 
we can't use it. Do you remember that? Do you remember that night? Well, there was two different things. So I, I moved to L.A. once before because I got hired to be the booker of the Laugh Factory out here, and I got fired okay. in 20, 24 days. So I, I think that's home. what it was. I think so. It might have been that, but also we had we did another when we closed the club. We had a hey, come out yeah, and drink the rest yeah. of the booze we got upstairs because yep. the club closes this weekend. We did that too. So I don't know which one you're talking about. But, yeah, I think but, yeah. it was the first one. Because we connected after you returned. I, you know, I think I may have insulted you, but I think you took it in stride. I was like, you're back? You're back already? <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I mean, and honestly, I would not have even had a going away party. Just I also, that's the thing that happens a lot is comics say, I'm going away, and they're having a party, and they last for a month, and they come back. Happens all the time. I just I only did it because I thought we'd sell some extra tickets to Morty's because we were about to go out of business then, yeah, too. Yeah. So it was, that, it was more, more of a marketing plan. Than, but, yeah, it was just – and I, it was a tryout. I came out to see if they if, if I liked L.A. and if they liked me. And I loved L.A. I just didn't like the job, and the job didn't like me. We didn't get along. So um, my definition of what funny was and his definition of what funny was were different. And so after a month, he just let me go. And it was like, well, and I thought about staying out here. I wanted to stay out here, honestly, but my girlfriend, Chrissy, uh, she wasn't ready then. Um, so a year and a half later, she was like, all right, I think I'm ready. And that's, that's when we moved. So I wasn't going to come out here without her. So, yeah. Yeah. Tell, I'm thinking, talking about Morty's, uh, you know, you, you might remember, I'm pretty sure you remember my son, Cameron. Uh, oh yeah. No Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry for, for any of Cameron's friends or, or others that might be tuning in. He goes by Mike Banks now. <laughs> I don't think he's, he was. Yeah. His, his stage Mike name Banks. is Mike Banks. Yeah. Uh, nice, I nice. think he got tired. I, 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 do, I, I do think it's adorable. You think your son's friends are going to listen to your podcast, dude, but whatever. <laughs> that, that's true. That is awfully presumptuous of me. Uh, actually, but I think you, that, you just gave you just gave me a ten minutes on how you're not cool anymore, and now you're like, oh, any of my son's friends are listening to my podcast, like, yeah, like they're I, like, hey, have you heard Mike's dad's podcast? No, I haven't. I think oh, they, it's amazing. They might be mercy listening. Listening, you know, I don't know. I might get some some mercy listenings from from his friends, but you know, I I think he I think he got tired of people butchering his last name. You know, Beisel. It's a German. Yeah, yeah, I can and, see that. So uh, he goes by Mike Banks. But but anyway, you know, I, I've I've shared my appreciation for for you and others too because not only did he performed quite a few times at Morty's, you know, open mic nights. Some that are really packed. I mean, you, you guys used to have great turnout there. But even with all of your success, and I know you're a humble guy anyway, but you guys put together writers' workshops, you know, to, to get together. And, you know, you're not on stage. You're, you're sitting around with other comics and helping each other out with jokes and polishing them up. And could you talk... Could you talk a little bit about that process for you specifically? I mean, I, I see, and I used to see all the time, some guys have notebooks, right? It's kind of like their, their, their comfort. Uh, other guys use their phone all the time and take notes or they use it up there. But talk, talk a little bit about just the process of writing and, you know, whether you have stories with other people like Cameron or just for yourself, just how that process works. <coughs> well, I mean, writing is, is – there's two kinds of writing, and, and the first kind of writing is, is – you know, you sit in a coffee shop and you try to write jokes, and that works. I mean, it, it, it takes longer because if you're going to sit and write jokes about whatever, know there's another there's a hundred other comics sitting in a coffee shop some other city trying to write jokes on the same topic. So the odds that three of you are going to have the same joke are pretty pretty good. You know what I mean? Where I do the second kind of writing where I just live life, man. I just fucking bop around and do mm -hmm. my thing and 
talk shit to people and make fun of people <laughs> and and but then like argue. I love art, and I don't love arguing with people, but I like discussions and like seeing where people like. I, I want to know where where what you think and why you think it. You know, mm -hmm. and it's, I'm not even disagreeing with you. I just want to okay, if that's your thought, I want to know how did sure. you get there. Show me your work, essentially. Yep. You know, and so in that process. I'll have a soliloquy or I'll have a line I'll say or I'll do something. You know what I mean? Like like the joke I just told you about my dad uh, being an adult for 50 years. Like I was just talking to my girlfriend in the pool. We were just hanging out. And we were a little stoned, and I was like – you know, I was like, my dad's been an adult for 50 years. Holy shit. No wonder they're so angry. And then I wrote some other tags to it or whatever. You know, So it's like um, – or I was arguing online with somebody about masks or whatever, and he's like, you're a fucking sheep. And I'm like, I love being called a sheep by a people with a full-time job. You have a shepherd, dude. He gets mad at you if you don't get, if you go to work. You're protesting at the state house so you can go back to your full time job so you're not a sheep? What the fuck are you talking about? Right? And I don't care I'm not even saying what, what fucking side of the argument you're on. I don't even care about that. I'm just saying yep. you can't call me a sheep if you have a job. <laughs> right? So That's like, right. <laughs> right? That's you've right. literally been herded into a building where a shepherd tells you if you're late. What the fuck are you talking about? And when you're going to go eat, when you, if you can take a break. <laughs> exactly. And they cheer you all day of your fucking yeah, – literally. Anyway, so yeah. – but my point is, like, that was just an online argument I was having with somebody, and I just put – I just typed that in the thing. Well, that's a funny joke. So I write that down. And then uh, my process is I'll call some people. So or, or if I'm on a podcast, like now, I'll pitch it. And if it la you get a laugh, like you just laughed, okay, cool. That's good. And then I'll call Todd. Todd McComas is my writing partner. He's my best friend, mm -hmm. and – you know, been a, a really funny comedian. So yep. I'll call him and go, hey, here's the joke I'm making. What do you think? And he'll go, oh, I'd make it go this direction. Or I'd make it go that direction. Or, no, you're right on there. Sometimes he'll give me a hammer for a punchline, you know, like he'll just help me out with that. And that's and, and then – and that's actually what the writing workshop was. I'm actually really good at direction because my thing is don't write the joke about – that everybody else is writing. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> let's say we're going to write a joke about millennials. Well, the standard – thing is millennials suck and the, the, and you write all jokes about how entitled they are blah 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 well that's what everybody's doing so mm -hmm. I would run a, I want to write jokes about how awesome millennials are try to prove the opposite point like what are the things that millennials do well right and then that's a, that's now a funny angle to a joke and Todd's really good at punchlines so basically when 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 Mike banks or uh, whatever comic come they like hey I got this joke I'm working on the workshop was based to help with two things one there is a lot of parallel development Right, like every every dude when he starts comedy has a joke about how he jerked off into a sock, right? <laughs> and every dude thinks they're the first person to ever admit that on stage. They think no one's ever been this honest. I'm gonna admit that I jerk off out loud in front of people. No one's ever said anything like this. No, everyone's always said that. That's the exact same thing everybody starts with, right? But you don't know that when you're first starting because you haven't seen thousands of hours of comics and you haven't seen thousands of open micers talk about jerking off into socks. You just haven't seen it, right? Yep. So the open might be like, yeah, that's a done. Jo that's that joke's been done a million times. How do you make it where it's not how it's original? We'll take it a different direction, maybe, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, oh, that's a Dane Cook joke. You can't do that one because that's the other thing too about comedy. It's crazy. Yeah. Is comedy's the one art form where, oh, what? You're a 17 year old high school kid. This is your son. You're a 17 year old high school kid, and you want to be on comedy stage? Cool. You better be completely original mm -hmm. right now from day one. Go. I mean, like guitarists play covers all the time until they get in a band where they like write. Real, their own music, you know. If you're an art class, you paint the classics. Yeah. You just replicate what other artists did. You're not allowed to do that in comedy. If if a, at a high school talent show, 
a spot, your son would have done a Dane Cook bit, mm-hmm. word for word. If a comic was there, he'd be like, what the That's fuck, right. he's stealing Dane Cook. It's yep. like, it's a high school talent show, who cares? <laughs> right? She, she also, the girl before him sold, stole Lady Gaga's music. That's just how this works. But that's not how comedy works. You have to do your own original material from day one. And so that's one of the things this workshop was doing was making sure people knew that, you know? So they didn't waste two years of their life doing jokes from other people or whatever. Um, So that's kind of – in my process, then I just call people, and then once I think it's done or close to done, I'll go on stage, and then I I shave off the edges while I'm up there. So generally I know I've got three to five laughs when I bring a a joke on stage. And then I might riff around or I might, you know, talk to the crowd a little bit or not yep. talk, but just kind of like just talk out loud until or think out loud and something hits. And then, and then, but luckily I have a good memory. So every time something like that hits on stage, I'll remember it forever. And the next time I tell the joke, I do it the same way and it gets a laugh again. So that's yeah. kind of how I do it. But yeah, speaking you know. of speaking of that, you're, you're actually really good at crowd work. Um, you know, working uh, maybe I don't think that's a technical term, but. Talking. No, with crowd someone. work is, is the technical term. I'm not a big crowd work guy, to be honest. I I, I do it if I have to, but yep. I generally don't care what they think. You I you, just... you used to do that, and I I've seen you I, I've I've seen you perform, and you know as a headliner, and you know big big productions. But you actually have done it more just at open mics, and to me that that's that's been super entertaining. It's you know I, I enjoy that that style, but uh, you're right. I mean you're. Your style, you know, you don't necessarily do the crowd work during your, your main. I mean, if days. I, it, yeah, there's times with open mics I would practice crowd work. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a good club to have in your bag. I mean, it's also mm-hmm. good when things aren't going well. Because there's times where, like, it just doesn't go well. I mean, there's, there, you know, I had a, you know, there's been, it hasn't, it doesn't happen that often to me, but there's times where it's like, I don't know what's going on. These jokes are hilarious, and you guys don't think they're funny at all. <laughs> and you'll switch to a different kind of joke where it's like, okay, maybe you don't like those jokes. Yeah. Let's go political. Okay, no, let's go jokes about relationships nope what what are you guys these all are great what are you doing right and that's where crowd work can get you out of that hole sometimes you know where you just go all right what the fuck's wrong what do you want to talk about you know (laughs) that's right like you know because it's like i and and then i've done comedy long enough where i don't take i don't get offended by anymore there's comics that can't handle it me i'm like no you guys are just stupid these jokes are great um you know, now, now that being said, if if I've got a new joke that I haven't tried yet and it doesn't work in an open mic, well, I may never try that joke again. So you got to be a little careful to not mm-hmm. like shoot a joke in the foot just because the crowd sucked. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hofstetter kind of talks about different experiences that he's had with people uh, after the show. Have you ever have you ever had anyone, unlike me, come up to you <coughs> after a show and kind of approach, not necessarily to intimidate you, but to take exception? with your act um i had one girl once i was doing a joke about it had the domestic violence angle in it and it was basically the joke was about empowering people to get out of bad situations but she only heard the beginning of the joke and it triggered her and she left mm-hmm. she didn't hear the resolution of the joke where i like i'm not making fun of domestic violence i wasn't in the beginning of the joke either but i said some shocking stuff to get your brain in a place mm-hmm. where when i told you the thing i was going to tell you about empowerment it might hit and she came up afterwards and like, you can't believe you joked about that. And I was like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but that's not what the joke is about. The joke, if you'd have stayed to the end of it, talks about you know empowering people to get out of those situations. And so I've had that a couple times or once and once. Um, you know, I, that's not generally my problem. My, my the only problem I ever have with people after shows is people want to tell me a joke, 
and and that's fine too. I don't know. If, I mean, like if you came to me and you were like doing comedy, or, yeah, or if yeah. if Cameron came up and was like, "Hey, I'm working on this joke. Can you help me?" I'd love to. I, I love that, right? But when people come and go, "Hey, man, want to hear a joke?" I always go, "Did <laughs> did you write it?" And they go, "Well, no." I'm like, "Well, no. I don't want to hear your joke. You didn't right. write. I don't want to hear someone else's joke told by you, man. I'll just <laughs> listen to it told by them, right?" And then and then they'll have a street joke. They always want to tell street jokes, which are you know I don't think guys if people don't know what street jokes are. A street joke is a joke you just heard as a kid, right? Like it's any joke that's just, you know, been around. You don't know who wrote it. I mean, who? Why the chicken crossed the road is a street joke. We all know the joke, but no one knows who wrote why the chicken crossed the road. You know what I mean? Right. But like, so it's not a bit from another comic. That's different. But it's just it's just a standard joke that you're probably your dad told you when you were 17 to think that he was cool or whatever, you know? And so people come and like, hey, can I tell you a joke? And I always go, is it racist? And they'll go. Well, kind of. I'm like, first of all, there's no kind of racist. And no, I don't want to hear your racist fucking joke. And they'll go, oh, I got one that's not racist. I'll go, okay, is it sexist? And they'll go, well, yeah. Okay, I don't want to hear your sexist joke either. All right. I, wait, I got one more. I got one. I got one. It's not sexist or racist. Cool. Is it homophobic? God damn it. So, because that, that's almost all street jokes are homophobic, racist, or sexist. And those jokes, and people talk about PC culture, those jokes were always terrible, right? We didn't know they were terrible, but they were always bad. And. Yeah. And people that were of those classes, if you were gay or a person of color or a woman, you never thought those jokes were funny. They were always shitty. They just didn't they just didn't stand up for themselves before and say, No, don't tell that joke, you're a dick. And I'm glad they said that finally, because they were terrible. I didn't want to hear those jokes anymore. They're fucking awful. I know, I mean, there are so many. There's so many that kind of fall under that category. But I gotta say, growing up now we're from central Pennsylvania originally. We we relocated to Indy from Pennsylvania. Uh, near Harrodsburg. You know, okay. Uh, state capital, but you know, suburb. So anyway, I guess I just what I was gonna say that uh, along those same lines, I swear my entire childhood uh, was filled with hearing and repeating Polish jokes. Right? I mean, do you, do you remember right. that long oh, yeah, ago? Yeah, for I mean, sure. Yeah. Every yeah, other yeah. joke was, "Hey, here's a Polish joke." I'm not gonna use the yeah. other derogatory derogatory. Yeah. Term. Yeah. For sure. But, for sure. But you know, those were like. <laughs> Those were like a dime a dozen. It was like okay or acceptable. I I remember hearing Polish jokes on television shows, you know. Oh, I mean, dude, they've made all kinds of. I mean, again, that was that was part of humor. And yeah. like I said, I don't think that people that were Polish ever liked those jokes. They yeah. weren't like, haha, you got right. us. They were right. like, ah, quit doing that, right? And so finally, people just said, hey, quit quit making jokes like that. And that's where you know a lot of the people that get upset about PC stuff. It's just because the jokes they used to. They used to be funny, don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And by the way, as a comic, there are jokes that you have that work for five years, and then one day they just stop working for some reason. It's the weirdest thing. And you're like, how is this joke not funny anymore? And it's just whatever reason, it just isn't. And sometimes it's the energy in which you tell it. Sometimes it's because the society's moved on. Sometimes people don't remember the thing you're referencing or whatever. But like, there's times where a joke just stops working. And it's frustrating because you don't know why. right? Well, that's yeah. where I think a lot of the people are mad about PC culture. It's like, I used to have 37 hilarious jokes that I could tell in any situation and kill the whole room, and now I don't have any. And they're mad, right? Because we took away their funny. But it's like, it wasn't your funny. You stole it from someone else. You memorized a terrible joke that you didn't write, and you've been living on somebody else's funny for fucking 30 years. Fuck you, man. You don't get that joke anymore. <laughs> write your own shit. <laughs> Something, so, uh, I'm not trying to turn this into my own personal uh, 
comedy show, you know, well, dude, uh, it's Chris your Bauer's comedy yet. show. Turn, turn but, in whatever you want. But but you were talking a, a, a second ago, and it, it made me it made me remember uh, a, a joke that you told. That of course one of thousands that that had me laughing hysterically. It was something about you know you got to be careful. So, you want people to agree with you for the right reason. You know, sometimes you'll be in a oh, debate. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. agree, and then they add something on at the very end. They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was the the joke was uh, like pregnancy the problem with the, or abortion. Well, the well, the, well, the, pro, the problem was, and I made it a little better, but the, yeah, because the, those were I just shaved the edges off. The, the joke was basically the problem with being a liberal is not you to agree with me. You have to agree with me the, for the right reasons. <laughs> That's right. You know, so like, 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 you know, go oh, to because you, know, you ever have somebody agree with you and then. You realize that you agree with them for the wrong reasons. So, like, somebody like, yeah, Trump's pissing me off. Yeah, he's pissing me off too. Do you believe he's still letting gays get married? Like, oh shit, no, 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 that's not what I was talking about. Oh fuck, right? Or like, oh, you, yeah, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Oh, I'm pro-choice. I mean, you can't outlaw abortion. What if your daughter got pregnant by a black guy? You're like, oh shit, no, 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 no. That's not what I said. Racist pieces. That's not what I meant. You know, that was the problem with being liberal is you got to agree for the right that's reasons. Right. That's the, right. The joke was Republicans don't care why you agree as long as you agree. You're on the team. It's like, I want a wall. Why do you want a wall? Hate Mexicans. Great, you're in. I want a wall. Why do you want a wall? Scared of terrorists. Cool, you're in. I want a wall. Why do you want a wall? I sell walls. Sweet. We got a wall guy. You know, like. <laughs> That's right. Yep. As long as you're on the team where we have to, you have to be the exact right percentage of, of in agreement. You know what I mean? That's like, right. like, yeah, you can't differentiate at all on the, on the left. And, that, and that's the problem. I mean, honestly, is that we, the left, people on the left, we fight too much amongst ourselves, you know? Yeah. So. No, that's good. That's good. Oh, so anything else you want to plug? Anything you want to talk um, about? You know, like, like I said, the, the, the cool thing we're doing is this social distancing social club. So if you just go to uh, laughfromhome.com, laughfromhome.com, and uh, at showtime. So it's 6 p.m. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday on uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And so you just go to that Laugh From Home, and you can click on any of the streams to watch it, to watch it on. Um, and it's just four days a week. We have two comics every show. And it's me and Steve and Ben, and our uh, Rachel is our. And she reads all our tips, and she's super funny too. She's not a comic; she just is is on the show, and and she's basically our Christy Lee, if you're thinking about the Bob Tom type show. Um, and so uh, it's just a lot of fun, and it, so you just log on and go to that website about ten till six, and click on the stream, and you can watch it. And it's our hundredth episode is Friday, so we've been doing this. We basically started this day one of the quarantine, like March twelfth or thirteenth. I went to Steve's house. And I'm like, all right, everyone's gonna be inside for four months. We gotta fucking give them some entertainment. Where there's a real opportunity here, and so we called Ben up because he's great, and, and he wanted to do some online comedy stuff. So we just started this show, and you know, hundred episodes later, we're still going strong. And it's we've made we've paid because it's all tip driven. So people tip on Venmo or Super Chat or whatever, and so we've paid in the last four months. We've paid comics, I think, nineteen thousand dollars. Wow. And, and they've made nineteen thousand dollars on the show. And then we've given away – we also – Steve started this thing called the Martin Grant in honor of his father where he used to give $10,000 a year to an aspiring comic to help them quit their day job and become a real comic. And uh, when this happened, he pivoted that. We, he turned it into um, uh, Friendly Shoulder Grant, so it's $1,000 for comics that lost a bunch of work because of COVID, mm -hmm. and this might put them back to have to do their day job. So as of now, we've given out, I think, 27 of those. So – Almost fifty thousand dollars has gone to comics from this show that were out of work since we started. So, it's pretty cool. It's been a lot of fun. Um, 
So yeah, check that out. No, that's great. I, I wasn't aware of that. And I'm glad that uh, from something so terrible like this that we're all going through, there's some positivity. You know, so I still want to go back to normal, but, but, you know, I think the key is adaption. When there's, when there's, you got to adapt and you got to, you got to pivot as soon as you can when there's market disruption. You know, I think that's really, if you look historically, yeah. the people that have become successful, are the ones who figured out how to, to handle their business in a new normal. And the people that wait around and hoping that it goes back right. to normal end up left behind. And then, but it's that attitude of not wanting to adopt new shit that keeps you left behind, not the other way, you know? Yep. That's right. That's right. So. Well, hey, uh, like I said, man, I really appreciate you taking time, so much time here uh, to join me on my podcast, this new endeavor. Uh, actually, I think, <laughs> again, kind of talking about what we're going through, I said, hey, what what, uh, what can I do for fun since I'm sitting at home you know, every day for 24 hours? Why not start a podcast, right? But, yeah, uh, yeah. But I really appreciate you taking the time. I've always, you know, I've been a huge fan of yours and continue. So I hope everyone out there, no matter where you, where you live, where you are, check out, check out his uh, shows online and, and uh, make some And you donations. can follow me at, at Bowers Comedy on you know, Instagram and Twitter and Chris Bowers on Facebook or whatever. But yeah, just, just follow me around. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Bowers. And that is going to be our wrap for episode number two of Borderline Offensive. Join us again next week with special guest Cameron Beisel, a.k.a. Mike Banks, depending on your circle. We're going to try to keep this thing afloat at least a few more weeks. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in and can't wait to hang out with you guys again next week on Borderline Offensive.